Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jones, Bowden, he's got it, England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins. Stokes flashes it away, through the covers for four, and England have won the match. Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. We've got Simon Mann back from holiday and lots to talk about in this programme. The weather has been kind to county championship cricket with this third round of matches underway on Thursday as we talk. And uh, it's been actually some very high scores. And of course, there is lots to play for as well in county cricket with the impending test series coming up in a month and a half's time. And... As I say, lots has happened in cricket, really, Simon, since you were away. Uh, not least, of course, uh, Robert Key being announced as the director of cricket and also Joe Root standing down. And we're going to hear a little bit from Rob Key later in this programme. As well, we're going to hear from someone who's uh, was a star sportsman and is now a very important administrator. That's Rob Andrew, former England fly half, of course, and now chief executive of Sussex. And he's got some interesting views about how the game should move forward. It's that subject, Simon, that we always seem to come across virtually every year. What's happening to English cricket uh, spurred on this time, I suppose, instigated this time by the Cricketer magazine with its own uh, look at the state of English cricket and is the ECB fit for purpose, they ask. And also a story in today's news that the Wisden Almanac is out and the editor Lawrence Booth saying that Tom Harrison should hand back his 2.1 million bonus. And uh, also asking the question, is the ECB fit for purpose? Is England going in the right direction after what undoubtedly was a real low in 2021? What's your view? Well, I well, I remember asking A.C. Smith the same sort of questions, the, the former chief executive of the Testing County Cricket Board, it probably was there, in the mid-90s or early 90s. What's wrong with English cricket? You know, what can we do about it? How can we take the game forward? I remember one of his answers then was, well, if we can find another Ian Botham, then all our problems might be solved, uh, which to me actually didn't seem a very satisfactory answer then. And what we did have, of course, we had things like central contracts, four-day cricket. Um, so there was a an attempt to really address some of the issues that English cricket was facing uh, back in the 90s when you know they had sort of similar sort of highs and lows there were some highs but there were plenty of lows as well and it, it feels as though we've arrived at a, a similar point in England's test record recently as, as we all know has been really poor and there's been lots of sackings and the replacements have have started I couldn't help I mean, sort of with a religious theme I couldn't help sort of noticing that Joe Root's captaincy ended on Good Friday, so there was sort of you know he he was sort of expunged or obviously resigning, and then Rob Key rose on Sunday. You know he was at that where, where I was in the world anyway. That was that was how those two announcements fell. Root going on Good Friday and Rob Key being appointed on Easter Sunday. Uh, is English cricket going to be resurrected? I I mean there's a the, the problem with all this is that 
And it goes back to something that Ashley Giles said that really actually resonated with me at the time. He said, you know, you can change the captain, you can change the coach, you can change the managing director, but there are some fundamental issues with English cricket that need to be addressed. And until they are addressed then, you know, will we really go forward? And Andrew Strauss also making the point that, you know, if you look back at the test team, you know, well, I think it was a stat, he said the last 40 years that English cricket has been number one or the England team has been number one in the world for 18 months in 40 years. Is that really good enough for a, a country that is as well-resourced and as fanatical about uh, cricket as, as England is? You know, it's one of the major cricketing nations, but I the test team it has been pretty good in the 21st century, largely, and did get to number one. But is that good enough? And you know, and and is, this this is a, this is a time, isn't it now, to really assess? There's going to be lots of discussions, as we'll hear from Rob Andrew about how the you know, the future of the game is is, is you know is going to be sorted out. It, is it a time for a, a, a revolution, or you know, will it just be tinkering again? Um, you know, the odd the odd change here and there. Anyway, we'll we'll, we'll come to that. So, just on on Joe Root. Um, were you surprised, Yoz, that he decided to to resign? He was inevitable. Yeah, it was inevitable. Uh, he really should have gone after the Ashes, I thought, uh, just because there were lots of mistakes made. I felt the team just wasn't going in the uh, the right direction, and and you know he didn't seem to have the authority to steer the the listing ship, you know, into same safer, calmer waters, and. Um, there is a time with, with every captain, like with a school teacher, like with a coach, even maybe with a managing director, where you almost are past your sell by date and people have heard all these lines before and it's time to, for somebody else to have a go. And and I felt that once Root got to the West Indies, he was on borrowed time and nothing went very well there either. I mean, you know, he played brilliantly and I think he's a fantastic guy. I just don't think... I, and I, I made this point actually on the podcast the other day. Um, sometimes you need a slightly nasty streak as captain. I think you need to be quite hard at times. And I just wonder whether Root is is a, a man who can do that. I mean, I know he's got he's probably got a temper, and you know he will kind of speak his mind. But there needs to be some kind of almost authority and, and even authenticity about that hard line and at times I just don't think he was quite the right person for that so England needed some home truths telling to them because they haven't performed well for over a year what is it one test win in 17 so it really was time I think to give somebody else a chance and I think he realized that and also the toll it takes on someone when you constantly are losing as well it's just he's lucky he's still got all his hair basically because a lot of England captains don't keep much of it yeah, well, he's he's fairly lucky as well. His hair's quite blonde, so you probably wouldn't see any grey. So a dark-haired captain, there'd probably be some grey there by now, wouldn't there? After the the problems that England have had in, in the in in recent years, uh, so is it inevitable that, that Ben Stokes is is going to take over? And there's sort of there, you know there've been a list of possibilities or sort of trotted out, but you know by ve- various people, and you, you you do have to have an open mind about it, don't you? You have to sort of look at the field, see who's available. I've seen. Jeffrey Boycott, for example, advancing the cause of of Stuart Broad in his Telegraph co- uh, column as a sort of short term appointment, and and we know we we know with previous experience and you know, the likes of we all remember Ian Botham and Andrew Flintoff as England uh, Test captain. You know the burden that they're, they're so important as bowler, batter, whatever talisman of the side, and the burden that places on uh, you know, a, a captain if you then take over the captaincy with that role. 
so are we are we going to go down the same route again as we've done in the past where we sort of hope it works um whereas in the past it didn't really work I think Ben Stokes is absolutely bursting to be England captain. I feel it's coming out of every pore. You know, if you look at him on the field, he wants to make decisions. He wants to to say things to the captain or make suggestions or whatever. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think he's a born leader in so many ways. And the, the, also, the other thing you have to look at, the other thing Rob Key will have to look at is who is definitely going to be picked in the side? Who is an automatic choice? Well, obviously, Joe Root is. Who else is an automatic choice? Ben Stokes is an automatic choice. Probably Johnny Bairstow is now. That's three. Who else is absolutely guaranteed their place? Obviously, Anderson and Broad, given decent county form, will come back into the side. But there's no others that can really stake a claim for the team. Well, I don't think they're going to make Bairstow captain because I just think he's too a single-minded a person. He's a bit detached. He might be a good captain in the future, but at the moment, I don't think so. Uh, Root has resigned, that leaves Stokes. And he's the obvious choice. And, and I don't think England should stray away from what is the obvious choice. Well, it would be weird, wouldn't it? You make him vice captain. You know, he came back last summer, didn't he, and captain that the one day side. Remember when they had those that COVID outbreak and he sort of he put him put himself forward despite the fact he had that finger injury and then subsequently, you know, he, he took that break from the game with you know mental health issues. Yeah, I mean it, 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 I think that the point about it is it doesn't feel like the perfect choice, but yeah, it, it feels like the, 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 the obvious choice and, 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 the, and the logical choice. And, and if you, if you, imagine if you, sort of, if you didn't give it to him, he, he, he would, sort of, I think, justifiably say, well, what on earth is going on here? You know, you'd have to have someone really strong, actually, to explain to him the reasons. And then you, you, you think, well, hold on a second. I, I've been sort of focal point of the team for, for many years. I'm the vice captain. And you've given it to... To him or to him, you know, it, it would it would just seem odd, wouldn't it, really? So, yeah, you, you, the, the logical, straightforward choice, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's guaranteed to succeed, of course. Um, well, but no, absolutely not. I mean, the play, you, you, the team is is in a bad way. You know, they haven't got a, a steady, consistent opening pair with bat or ball to start with. And so, you know, that leaves you fragile. Uh, you know, they have to find a formula and a team lineup that is going to work and at the moment they're struggling to do that yeah i mean the point is this is this is going to take time isn't it to to, to turn things around and even with you know remember when, when nasa Hussain became england captain it, it took time before things began to change so and, and it, it doesn't it might not change as well that's the other thing uh but are, are the players there to, to, to take England forward? I th I, one of my feelings is, you know, they're a bit thin on both bowling and batting reserves. Uh, that, that's not that top quality that you need. You know, how are they going to get wickets, say, for example, in Pakistan next winter? It, it, Australia struggled to, to knock over Pakistan on those slow, uh, low pitches. And, uh, you know, we know how much better Australia are than England. So, yeah, I think we, everyone has to be realistic and be patient and 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 see how things work out, and see whether you know, there might well be you know a, a step forward, a step back, uh, one step forward, two steps back. I, it, I think it's going to be. It, it feels that English English cricket is in that sort of period at the moment. And and I mean no, not, not easy opposition either. Of course, New Zealand in June, three tests. That'll be tough. Then a test against India to complete the series from last year, and then South Africa. So it's it's not going to be an easy seven test matches. Uh, 
I think you, you know you have to focus primarily on winning at home. And uh, I, you know, if England can play well, they can beat New Zealand at home. A lot of players will be, especially New Zealand players, will be coming from the IPL. Um, so you know, it might just be a, a, an opportunity to catch a, a, them off guard, even though they won the World Tem- Test Championship last year. So, and, and England obviously have the chance of bringing back the likes of Anderson and Broad and so on. So, the, their side will be stronger, I think, for uh, the, the summer than it was certainly in that West Indies series. But they've got to play well. And I, I think Stokes could be the man to, to lift them above their sort of moderate status at the moment. Okay, so the one thing we know uh, for certain at the moment is that Rob Key is the new managing director of English cricket. We had Rob Andrew in the virtual cricket club last night, a, a very experienced administrator himself. You know, he's done the uh, the chief executive's job at, at Sussex for what, nearly six years now. And he, he was also in a high-profile role at the RFU. He was a, he's a former player as well at top level in international cricket with, with England rugby. And he, he played first-class cricket as well for Cambridge University. And he played a, a bit of second-team cricket at, at Yorkshire as well. So the, the, one of the questions was, that was asked in the Virtual Cricket Club on Wednesday night was, what advice would Rob Andrew give Rob Key? I wish him very well. Uh, I think he's he's got a very tough gig. I think all of these gigs in in, in sort of international sport are tough. I, I'd only have one piece of that, one piece of advice, in, and, and I'm, I'm not for giving advice in these roles, but make the right appointments. That's the main job. Whichever position you are in, in management, make the right selection. So I would always go. So it's all about the right people in the right jobs doing the right thing so if you're the coach pick the right team if, if you're the md pick the right coaches you know if you're the chief exec pick the right md because that's what it comes down to it, it very very easy thing for me to say uh, and and i don't know what the answer is to the question that is now rob's job but i you know i i was in the firing line and it's they're not easy things to get right by any stretch of the imagination and even when you think you've got the got it right and you've done all the right things it still may not work out because that's the nature of that's the nature of the brute that is international sport and then that's what we're going to find out over the next few months and years as to what this next next phase of of English cricket looks like and, and it's going to be you know we're all fascinated because because we all love it so much just in the way that you know Eddie's coming under under pressure and some stick from England rugby point of view to see if he gets it right in the next 18 months going to the next World Cup because it's 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 tough it's what we expect you know you look at the pressure that Gareth Southgate must have been under over the last two you know major tournaments world cup in 2018 and then euros he's done an unbelievable job most successful that england have been in football and and still people aren't happy that's why the top level sport i think he's getting tougher and tougher so yeah i i I shall wish him well and um watch on with with a great deal of interest well, that's Rob Andrew and you know, making the point you know, that really for Rob Key, it's, it's those key appointments, isn't it? You know, who is going to be the new captain? Who is going to be the new coach? What are they going to do with the selection panel? Is there going to be you know, a, a new head selector? 
that those appointments are absolutely key. And you know, people might say, well, what what does the managing director of English cricket do? Because we didn't way back in the day, uh, even not that far back in the day, there didn't used to be a managing director of of English cricket. We've had Andrew Strauss and and Ashley Giles doing the job. Uh, you know, what 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 else does the managing director of English cricket do? You mentioned some of the main tasks. Uh, obviously, the first job is to elect a captain and a coach or two coaches for different formats. Uh, then uh, it's about also, I think, looking at the Lions, looking at England's reserves, their, their next people off the, the cab, cabs off the rank, if you like, uh, and planning for Lions participation in some way. Either that's by playing some matches in the summer against touring teams or obviously touring in the winter and playing perhaps in countries where England are likely to tour in the near future. So getting sure, making sure that the next uh, sort of the, the next generation are ready and prepared. And I suppose working with the, you know, the academy at Loughborough and I also I think coaches, coaching. You know, I, I've had quite a lot of conversations recently with people working in the coaching industry and there is a feeling that coaching cricket coaching isn't great and that there's still a lot of sort of old attitudes that are, are dying very slowly and that the modern player needs better guidance and more imaginative coaching and that perhaps the whole coaching system needs revamping in some way there's a little bit of sort of self-perpetuation in the way that certain things are handed down and actually one of those things might be you know basics go back to basics one coach I was talking to recently was saying that he was encouraged five years ago when he was working with you know kind of England Lions type players players in the next batch of, of potential test players to encourage individuality to encourage them if they had a sort of a rather odd technique to say no don't, no problem you know work with that uh, that's what got you to the level that you'll reach now don't change you know, just kind of tinker with it but he now regrets that attitude because having looked at the game and having looked at the experiences of players with unconventional techniques in test cricket eventually anyway He's seen how they've struggled. He's also talked to the likes of Andy Flower and others about the importance of the basics, especially in Test cricket. And he's now re 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 more or less sort of conditioned himself to thinking, this coach, that yes, actually the basics are very important. And you can almost tell straight away from a young player whether he's got those basics and what he needs to to be able to raise to the next level because so often these young players show a lot of promise, show a lot of talent. And there's one in Sussex now, Tom Haynes, who made a double hundred this year already and has, has made, was leading run scorer in the county championship last year. You know, has he got the good enough basic technique to raise his game to test cricket? And there is such a jump between county championship and test cricket in for so many reasons. So, I think you know that's another thing that Rob Key could look at is the whole coaching structure. Yeah, and and this, it's a really interesting point you make about you know you mentioned uh, Tom Haynes there, and we'll we'll get um, Rob Andrews' verdict on Tom Haynes uh, very shortly. 
it's, you know, there are players who started the season really well, and there are actually players who started the season well who were part of the England setup in the, in the winter and didn't do particularly well. I mean, Craig Overton couldn't force his way into the, the test side until the West Indies tour, then looked fairly innocuous, come back and taken 13 wickets in a match. Ollie Pope dropped from the England squad, England side, I should say, you know, made a hundred, you know, reeled off another hundred at the Oval. So you have these sort of players who are. Doing well actually in the, in the county game at the start of the season. The weather's been good. Some of the pitches have actually been pretty good, haven't they so far? But can they make the step up? And you know, it's, 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 we had Rob Key in our virtual cricket club a, a few months ago before the managing director's job was well, it, it wasn't, wouldn't even been a thought in his mind, I'm sure, at, the, at that stage. And he, he did play Test cricket, and I think there were there were people who feel that perhaps he you know he, did, he, probably, he probably feels he didn't make the most of himself, did he? He played fifteen Test matches, he did score a double hundred against the the West Indies. And, but one thing he really picked out actually when he spoke to us in the Virtual Cricket Club was that that step up, that difference between you know the county game and playing Test match cricket when he came up against some of the Australian greats. I was twenty two, I think, when I got picked for Australia. And that was that great side when Shane Warne and all that lot, and they were just too good for us. It was, I mean, we were playing a game from 10, 15 years earlier and they'd moved into, you know, the 2000s almost, you know, with Warne and people like that. They, we, did, we couldn't match them. And that was tough because that, the, the standard was so much better than us. Yeah, and we, we would bat. And I remember facing Glenn McGrath and I'd never faced him before. I'd played against Warren, but Glenn McGrath, I remember his first ball, Think he bowled me. I thought, here we go, this is going to be on. And I promise you, it was like 18 mile an hour, which isn't that quick. And I saw it all the way. It wasn't, <clears throat> it wasn't really taking the stumps on, and I just left it. And I thought, what's all the big fuss about here? And then the next one, and I did the same thing, and I left it, and I sort of thought, why is everyone going on about Glenn McGrath? He's not that quick you can see him quite easy and then I did that for an over and then I played Warren and it was like I knew knew I knew him a little bit so that wasn't too bad and then I have another over of Glenn McGrath and I thought right okay let's get some runs now and then I thought oh there we go that's why he's a good bowler this bloke because I've got absolutely no idea how I'm going to score a run against him I mean I think I could block him forever but couldn't even do that in the end but when all of a sudden when you thought this bloke does not bowl a bad ball. And then the whole slip cordon was, was like behind you in this wall. And Steve Waugh, who, who played at Kent, he'd sort of look at you as if, he's a good bloke, Steve Waugh, but he had a way of looking at you like you just, you know, like Fleur does when I've come in late and I haven't told her. Just like you're absolutely nothing. And then all of them in a sled, and a short leg, just, they didn't really sledge you. They sort of look at you as if like, who on earth are you? <laughs> And then you just eventually you go schnick and you're out after three overs of blocking the life out of it. And you think, oh, that's test cricket then. That's pretty tough. Well, so far, yours in this podcast, we've concentrated on the narrow issues, really. Who should be the new captain? We've looked at Rob Key as the new managing director. Those sort of individual appointments, the, the, the coaching situation needs to be sorted out as well, head selector. But we all know, I think, and we've hinted at it already, that 
you know, it, there's also a discussion about sort of the, the wider game, isn't it? How, how much focus there should be on Red Bull cricket? What should be the structure of Red Bull cricket? Michael Vaughan, uh, I saw the other day saying that championship matches should be over five days. I've not heard that put forward uh, before. A suggestion also as well of, of 10 first-class games. You know, when you played... Uh, when you first started, there what were there sixteen? Uh, you know, when I first started watching, even more, yeah, like even more, 20. yeah. Well, yeah, well, I that was three day cricket. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when I first started watching, you know, there were loads of games in the summer. But you're right, three day cricket, and it's come down, isn't it? And we've had we've had leagues now. We have two leagues, uh, three leagues, conference, whatever. Gone back to two divisions. So now that the one suggestion is 10 first-class games. And one thing that would allow, it seems to me, 10 first-class games, you can take it away a bit more from the margins of the season. And what you can also do is you can get your, you can unleash your fast bowlers a bit. Can you? One thing that strikes me about the, sort of the, the structure of the season at the moment is yeah, the weather's been good and that's great for, for cricket. Players have been able to play. But can you put it in as a fast bowler, you know, back to back to back to back, championship matches in April and May you know are you just holding back so it seems to me if you had fewer games yeah that wouldn't that might well you know, as a former pace bowler yourself you might feel that you know what it was like to play those back-to-back -back matches you know six, six days of cricket it must have been really you know, all, all together it must have been really tough so you, you 10 first class games yeah that could help your fast bowlers it might help your spinners as well because you can play the matches you know, in the warmer part of the summer in theory although you know you can never guarantee the english weather you know we've got a nice dry spell here but of course you know july could be pouring down you know we all know that um, and, and often we find actually there's some decent weather at the extremities of the season so you know lots of ideas around um and well, i mean just what, what's that you know on that point about um fast bowlers being unleashed and, and and being able to really focus if you've got that you know distinct break between games i mean is it, is it a valid point yeah, absolutely. It's a valid point. It's interesting, actually, that Michael Vaughan has come out with the five-day championship cricket, considering he was the one of the advocates of four-day test cricket. But anyway, um, I don't think we need five-day county championship. I think four-day is fine. And I think the 10 or 12 games a year is about right. I think at the moment there probably are too many. I do think it's obviously very important to spread them out through the whole of the summer from mid-April, I would say, mid-even to late-April, to mid-September and then you get the full gamut of different conditions when you're a fast bowler in April you're always a bit wary because it's a little bit chilly it's a little bit damp underfoot quite often and if you you feel actually that if you go for it too early you're going to pull something slip on a bit of damp grass or a net surface which isn't quite perfect or something and then suddenly you're out for two three months so I think you kind of you do sort of try and ease into the season which clearly people like Anderson and Broad are doing because they're they haven't played the first two three rounds and the other thing is you do need rest yes you absolutely do it, it, you, you if you try and play all the time when your body is aching and you know half injured from seriously long spells it's not going to do it any good and you're going to do yourself terminal damage which undoubtedly I have because I played when knee injuries were sort of starting to crop up or there were other th issues and they just got worse and worse and you know then you had to have an operation and your body's never the same so I do think that it's important to to give fast bowlers that opportunity to ease into the season and then go for it you know sort of maybe June July time when it's a bit drier and a bit warmer and maybe the pitches are a bit flatter and you need that extra pace but I'd also add spinners 
as well will really come into it much more realistically if they play more championship cricket July, August. You know, we had John Embry in the Virtual Cricket Club a couple of weeks ago when you were away and you know, he, we, we were just reminiscing actually about championship matches in August when you're often playing on a used pitch, a pitch which might have been played on in, say, early May or late April, and they're using it again for a second game. And it hasn't quite, the grass hasn't quite grown back, so it's a bit bare at each end, and it turns almost from day one. And often I would play in matches for Middlesex in August where I bowl three overs to get the shine off and then on, on came the spinners. And that doesn't happen anymore. You never see that. Perhaps occasionally at Taunton. What do they call it? Cyderabad. Um, well, they used to. Yeah. Used to, yeah. It's, cha- it's, it's changed. changed. Yeah, it's, it's changed, changed a bit. But, yeah, it's changed again, yeah. hasn't it? So, so that would be another thing. And, you know, the dearth of spin bowling in England is, is something, it's almost even worse than no genuine fast bowlers or no fit genuine fast bowlers. Um, so there's lots and lots of opportunity if you stagger the, the matches a little bit more and have 10 or 12 of them. Yeah, and also you might find it sort of, it does concentrate the mind of batters as well. You know, that it's in a way it sort of mirrors sort of brutality of test cricket that you don't get as many chances and you have to make, you know, the, the chance that you get count. So there's that aspect as well. I mean, the one thing that you, and, and, and this is part of the, the, the whole argument that county members saying, well, we're, you know, we're getting less and less uh, first class cricket for our money. And, you know, we want, you know, we want to go and enjoy our, our cricket. But uh, you know, somewhere you, you've got to find uh, the right balance. Let, let's hear from, from Rob Andrew, actually, because he has a sort of really, I think, considered and very uh, realistic view about the sort of the, the structure and, and, and the future of the game and the whole debate uh, surrounding it. I don't have the answer because I'm not sure that anybody actually can have the answer. I think it will morph into a new version of the answer uh, because that's what cricket does. And that's not a criticism. I think cricket actually does a really good job of, and if you look over history and you guys will know a lot more than I do, I've sort of followed the history of cricket, but, you know, cricket's been dying for, again, about the last 300 years, it dies every decade, but it doesn't. It, it finds a way of morphing into the next decade, morphing into the next bit of, of what, what it's going to look like. And it is really difficult. Um, and anybody that, that thinks they've got the answer, I actually think, I, don't, I think they're wrong. I don't think you can find a, the perfect solution to what is a very complex situation at the moment. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about red ball reset. Well, you know, there's a lot of jargon around at the moment. I'd like to know what some of it actually means. There's been a focus on white ball cricket, let's be honest. And actually the pendulum has swung and it's swung too far. And that's often what happens in these situations. And now everybody's going, oh, actually, We've let the pendulum go too far. We've become pretty good at white ball cricket. We've won a World Cup. We've got a new competition. There's more and more franchise leagues around the world. A lot of players are heading off and making loads of money. And then you expect them to come back and play red ball cricket when they haven't picked up, you haven't used a red ball for six months and wonder why they can't do it. Well, it's pretty obvious why they can't do it. So I think this rebalancing act is is a challenge 
and the hundred is is in the middle of it. And so, arguably, the, the ECB have created one thing which has now caused a problem with one of one of our other assets. And we're waking up to that fact and now trying to swing the pendulum back. But where it where it swings back to and what it looks like when it does swing back, it's, you know, everybody seems to have the answer already when the process hasn't even started. So so that's look, we're, there'll be millions of different answers on this on this call. Yeah. 18 first class counties trying to trying to, you know, Clearly, there's an element of self-protection around that as well, because we're uh, we're individual businesses. We we feel we've got a big part to play. Without the counties, the ECB, for my mind, you know, the counties produce the players. The counties have the grounds that the all cricket is played on, and it's for the ECB to serve the game in 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 the best interests of the game, um, and and that's what's going to be difficult to to sort out over the next six months i mean in you you in a way have have, have, have been an interesting study over the last sort of couple of years because you've uh, lost some leading players in a way um who've, who've obviously wanted to move on to first division teams or whatever uh, and yet you've it's given you the opportunity which you've grabbed to blood you know quite a lot of youngsters and they're now starting to produce some of them i know you're you know, you haven't won a match yet, but you know, two scores of over five hundred is pretty impressive. Um, what, what's the feeling in Sussex about you know the, amongst the community, the members, the maybe the committee, you know, about its kind of status in the area? I I, I think the status of, of, of cricket in Sussex is very strong in terms of um, the whole cricket community. As, as many of you know on this call, as many counties are. Sussex is a real cricket county. Um, mm. It's got loads of schools, loads of clubs. We come, we have very strong women and girls programmes, disability programmes. Um, we have historically produced good young players who then go on to England. You know, And that's the other dichotomy we've all got in the game, is that part of our role is to produce cricketers at all levels one of which is to produce players to go on to play international cricket and one of our aims is for all of our youngsters is is for them to have the ambition to play international cricket you have to have that i was lucky enough in another sport to fulfill a, a dream you know which is actually quite a late developing dream to be honest i wasn't thinking of playing rugby or cricket for England, you know, at the age of 15, 16, 17, or even earlier, which a lot of kids are in modern day sport. But I was able to fulfill that dream. And we will always strive, you know, for the next one off the block. Who is it? Is it Tom Haynes? I don't know. We'll find out this year, next year, maybe never. We'll, we'll see. But, you know, we have helped produce international cricketers. Obviously, from a Sussex point of view, you, the problem is you do that and then you never see the player again. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, but that's the way cricket has to be. And we all have to accept that, you know, for the benefit of the whole game and the way the game is structured, we can't be like football where all your best players play for you and your country. Mm. Rugby has a slightly different balance where the players play 
a reasonable amount for their clubs, but they do go missing for quite big blocks. Cricket, if you're an international cricketer, you just go missing full stop, pretty much. And then occasionally, if you're lucky, you get you get them back for the odd game if the ECB allow it. Um, so that that is, you know, a fundamental part of of modern day cricket since since central contracts came in, since in a sense the, the the explosion of international cricket. You know, you go back twenty or thirty years, England players played a fair bit of county cricket. Now your modern England player doesn't really play for your for your county very much at all. We have to accept that. And and there's nothing else you can do. It's just the nature of the beast. You you mentioned um young Haynes, your your captain, he's only 23. How how good is he? That's for other people to judge that really, not you know, not for me. But if you look at the fact that he was the leading run scorer in all county cricket last year when we were in the in the conferences. So it wasn't the sort of it wasn't first or second division. You know, he played against Lancashire and Yorkshire, got 155 in the opening game at Old Trafford last year. He's obviously he's scoring runs, which is a is is what you want your opening batsman to do, isn't it? Um so yeah, look, who I'm, I can't make a judgment on that, but I, what I can say is that with a lot of our young players, we do think we've got some young players. We absolutely will do everything we can for them to to play international cricket because it's 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 got to be their goal. Well, as we're recording this podcast, Tom Haynes is in the field at, at Worcester. He's not getting a chance to, to bat on the first day of the of the championship match there, but he he has had an impressive run, uh, good runs last season, leading run scorer as you said in the in the championship, as as Rob said as well. And this season already three hundred and fifty seven runs as a, an opening batter. And the one thing I would say about if you if you look at that England batting lineup from the West Indies though. So who were they going to drop? I know they failed in the last Test match, but you know Leeds has just been brought into the side, so made a reasonable impression, looked quite solid. But I mean, are you just going to dispatch someone after three Test matches? Crawley made a hundred in one of the Test matches. Bairstow made a hundred. Stokes made a hundred. Root made two hundred. Lawrence made runs at times, you know, and he's sort of one of the sort of up and coming players. So you know, how are some of these? I mean, there's Pope to come back. How are some of these younger players going to? Forced their way in. I, the, the person I forgot to mention earlier, of course, was James Bracey as well at, at Gloucestershire, who, uh, as we speak, has made three successive first-class hundreds or in, in successive matches England, for England A against Australia A, which is a notable achievement, and then two hundreds in the first two ch- championship matches of the season. But looked a bit so all at sea actually when he played for England uh, last summer. That that that's that point that Rob Key was making about the step up, isn't it, between Championship cricket and then playing. Test match cricket. But what I, what I quite liked about uh, Rob Andrews' assessment there is, is that sort of very pragmatic viewpoint that, you know, there are no, there are no easy answers to this, Yoz. And, there, you know, the cricket has always sort of, it's, it's sort of, it's sort of gradually changed, morphed, and there's sort of compromises. And I, I wonder whether there will be sort of compromises this time, whether that's, you know, they will try to force something radical through. I mean, you know, they talk about reduction in the number of counties. Rob was saying last night, you know, he sort of firmly believes that 18 first-class counties have all got a, a, a part to play in English cricket. But, it, I mean, it looks as if the sort of part of the debate is going, you know, do we reduce the number of, of counties? I mean, how, how you do that, I don't know. And is, is it even possible to do that if, if you wanted to do it? Uh, perhaps 10 first-class games is a more realistic 
goal to, to aim for? I, don't, I definitely I don't, don't think you reduce the number of counties. I, I mm. think you, you, you see those counties as potential or real centres of excellence and focal mm. points for those communities, members, clubs as well. I think a lot of counties could do more to attract more kind of community initiatives and therefore interest from the local area. And they all have their pathways from clubs and schools into their, their junior teams. So there's a real network which with, with tentacles spreading you know, far deeply into the, the, the rural areas of, of Britain as well as the, the cities. So I, I don't think any reduction in counties is likely. I mean... It, what about three divisions of six? Yeah, I mean, yours? maybe. Yeah. I, I actually, I'd just like to see how two divisions works this year again, having not mm. had it for, for a little while. Um, I, I mean, as far as sort of choosing personnel go, I, another chap I talked to quite a bit recently was uh, Mo Bobat, who's been on the on tour with England quite a bit. He's their, I think, what they call the technical director of England, uh, very much looking at data, looking at technique, um, looking at uh, analysing players in, in a lot of detail. And I, just going back to your point about the opportunities for, for young players or any players this summer, yeah, they've got to make runs. You know, they've got to make runs and state their claim for the potential for, for playing for England in Test cricket. It isn't only about runs. It's also about attitude, uh, about the sort of mental approach, about their um, their approach, their own preparation, things like that, which you can only tell... By going to games. So there is this very intricate scouting network set up by Mo Bobat and Ashley Giles and others. And they are conditioned to report back on all sorts of players. And they now have a sort of set criteria of things they're looking for. So it sounds obvious, but marrying both the stats, the essential stats, the performances with attitude and approach to the game is the only way, I think, of actually properly evaluating players. Uh, and, and they'll have to do that over the next month or two uh, to, to assess who's in the right condition, the right frame of mind, the right form to play Parade for England. I mean, of course, you know, looking at the structure, it's it was forever thus. You know, the, the arguments yeah, about yeah. the structure of English cricket have been going on since, since it was founded, really, in the 1700s, 1800s. Sussex actually was founded in 1839, I think, and has played at Hove now for 150 years. And there's always been arguments about, should we play two-day, three-day? You know, in, in the 1800s, it was single wicket, double wicket. There's a famous uh, story about a, a tournament where it was a man and his pet playing against each other. So you brought a dog onto the field and the dog was sort of acted as the fielder. Uh, while the band Man Boulder is... That's where we've been going wrong. That's where we've been going wrong. That's what we should bring back in. We, we should have dogs in the field. Yeah, that'll, that'll bring back the crowds as well. There are lots of dog lovers, aren't there, in the, in the exactly. UK? We could, have a, we could have a Crofts yeah. at the same time, couldn't you, on, in the lunch interval? Um, so you don't, they're, 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 it's always been under, under discussion, this whole thing, the, what is the best structure. And as Rob Andrews says... There is no right answer, or at least we haven't found it yet. But the balance at the moment is wrong. And the balance needs recalibrating so that red ball is more of a priority than it certainly is at the moment. 
Yeah, my, my point in all this has been, and I've, just, I've said it in the winter as well, but I'll reiterate it. There is enough goodwill in, in, in the English game. There is enough interest in the English game. There is enough money in the English game. There is enough structure in the English game for England at the, at the international level to be strong at red ball and white ball. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It should be both, and that should be the goal. And that's something that Andrew Strauss has, has, has said very recently. I totally agree with him. I, I think, you know, this the, the goal... It shouldn't be white ball over red ball. It's got to be both, and that's that's what the that's what the sort of the vision for I think for the game needs to be. And of course, the, the in, with all these things, the devil is in the detail and how you 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 try to advance that. But I, th I think that the winter is. I hope the winter sort of concentrated people's minds about you know, the need to the need to take this really seriously, and not to not to just say oh it's another ashes. Ashes series defeat we always lose in Australia, but to say you know how can how can England in the future be serious about winning in India, Australia, Pakistan, and that's that has got to be the benchmark, and that's got to you know that's got to frame a lot of the of the conversation because I think if the English you know if the English international team is strong, then I think that you know it, it totally filters down, doesn't it? Mm. it? To to both young young players, spectators, you know, it draws everybody in, and that's you know that's got to be the goal. But what people do have to also realise, if they haven't already, is that the two formats are diverging rapidly, you know, all the time. And and now we're really talking about two separate sports. White ball, especially T Twenty, and red ball are they are different sports, and they they have different, largely different players. I mean, look at Joss Butler. What an amazing performance in for Rajasthan Royals this uh, IPL. Two incredible centuries and I mean treating Pat Cummins like an off spinner you know smashing him over long on and but he, he couldn't get a run in the ashes could he really so it, it just shows how they are going to become more and more divergent these two formats and therefore players will will be steered down one path or the other path or the other and you know it's not going to be easy for them to choose clearly but as long as there are potential rewards for playing red ball cricket then that is a, a valid path to follow. Yeah, well, that's got to be it, isn't it? In, in a way, you, you, you perhaps you have to incentivise those younger players who are more Red Bull orientated, actually, to otherwise you, you will get players who are thinking, mm, uh, actually, I, I'm... The, the white ball game sort of, you know, does draw me in. It does, it does entice me. And I'll, I'll adapt to my game. I'll try to adapt my game to, to be a, a decent white ball player. I mean, I think, you know, I think it's possible, isn't it, to do that? I, I don't think you, you're not necessarily exclusively red or, or exclusively white. I, I, I agree with you on the, on there will be divergence in the future, but you have to try to persuade uh, those players who will be sort of mediocre white ball players players do you know what I mean rather than star white ball players to really concentrate on red ball despite the fact that they might be able to make more money in theory in, in, in white ball cricket despite being not as good as the Bairstows and the Butlers and the Livingstons those sort of players at, at, at white ball level mm. anyway yours is I mean there's, there's so many questions and not many answers well, I suppose you could well, say not, not well, not many obvious answers. I think you know. One of the issues is, of course, is that there are lots of vested interests. You know, people have whichever way you come at it. You know, a county member say is going to have a very different view from, uh, say, Andrew Strauss about about the, the future of the, of the way the game should be structured. So you know, there are lots of different voices within the game, and that and that's the debate. And that and if ultimately someone's going to have to make a decision. Uh, I suppose you know, there's a possibility that things could just be fudged, and there's just a bit of change here and there. 
uh, I, I sense that in certain parts of the game there's a, a, a feeling for for real um, you know, progress a revolution if you like yeah whatever whatever you want to call it but then the other people say well the, the revolution I want is to get rid of the hundred you know it, it's it's just it's destroying everything so you know those you've got those sort of polar as, as yeah. often I mean I, you know, it's interesting actually because the um, one of the employees at Glamorgan I spoke to recently said that I mean just to just briefly defend the hundred he said 69% of their audience at Cardiff last summer for the hundred matches were people who'd never been to cricket before. Well, that that's brilliant. And I mean, a lot of people will say, well, if you invested the same marketing in the blast as you did in the 100, the same uh, result would apply. But I don't think that's true. People were attracted by the different format, the different names, the different colours, the different players being shared around in different ways, the whole concept, the short format. They, they, lots of things attracted them, the, the sort of family atmosphere, etc. So... It, it did have an impact and we have to build on that though and try and make sure we draw more people in to both play and watch the game who can specialise in whichever format they prefer. Yeah, I mean, all I was doing there was just emphasising the, sort of the, the, the polar nature of the debate really is that you know there are, there are extremes, and there are lots of voices and there are lots of extremes and not everyone is going to be satisfied by the, by the outcome of of, of whatever's decided about the, you know, the structure of the English game. Anyway, you're, so yeah, so some things have been decided, but there's still an awful lot uh, to decide, which is good for us because it means there are lots of talking points uh, th throughout this summer. But uh, that's it for today. We've heard from Rob Andrew and we've heard from Rob Key and you've heard from Simon Hughes and you've heard from Simon Mann and you will do again very shortly in the future. Thanks very much for listening. <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network.